Hello and welcome to another episode of CryptoCast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Anne Sophie, who is a lecturer at the University of Cambridge. Hi, Anne. It's great to have you on. Hi, James. Thanks so much for having me. So it's interesting to see the kind of the academic world now looking more and more closely at blockchain and crypto assets. Just to kind of uh, sort of an opening question in terms of what areas are you focusing on in terms of the interaction of law and crypto assets or blockchain technology? I'm looking at two things. One is in DeFi and the other one decentralized finance and the other one is in DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. And in DeFi, the big question there that we face as lawyers is what is the D in DeFi? What is decentralization? So I've been going through some of these policy reports, looking at decentralized finance from the OECD, from the Financial Stability Board, recently from IOSCO, which is basically the World Club of Securities Regulators, trying to find out how do regulators think uh, we make this distinction between something that's actually decentralized and something that's centralized. And there I think I, I think we may be getting things wrong because what I see in these reports is we're looking at any type of centralization as a way for us as lawyers to say, aha, look, there's something that's centralized. So that's something that we can regulate, that we that's a hook for us to impose liability on, on people in the DeFi world. So in my research, I'm just trying to find out, are we confusing like any type of technical or economic centralization in a DeFi protocol with the questions about what I call legal centralization, which means is it good enough to have some kind of control to impose liability from a legal perspective per se? So that's one thing I'm looking at. What is a D in DeFi? And does it mean that we as lawyers are very desperate to look at any type of control or centralization just to be able to impose liability without perhaps necessarily thinking, is it a good idea to impose legal liability? And, and why are we doing that rather than can we, should we, is the question I think that I'm trying to answer. And the second thing I'm looking at, at is decentralized autonomous organizations. And I think DAOs, just like traditional firms or any other type of organization, is facing some similar questions. So that's the second part of my research, looking at DAOs, what are they, how do they function, what kind of problems do they face, and perhaps what can they teach us for governance uh, in the corporate setting or in other traditional settings. Uh, it's interesting that, that you mentioned DAOs. I mean, I think it might be worth if you just sort of outline, first of all, kind of what a DAO is for people who might be listening and, and may not know what they are, and also how do you see the role of DAOs in terms of changing the existing corporate structures we currently use? Yeah, very good question. What is a DAO? I haven't seen a single good definition. I've seen somebody define it as, well, some people define it very colloquially as a, a Discord group, so a social media group with a bank account. Other people have tried to define it or describe it a bit more formally, saying, well, you have a group of autonomous agents, people, individuals coming together in a very decentralized fashion. And the way they interact is through blockchain-based transactions and through cryptography. So a DAO for me is a group of people who say, we want to work on something that we believe in together, whether it's a project in decentralized finance, whether it's more cultural or some other common cause project. People want to come together. They don't want to do it um, through a traditional corporate structure. So they say, let's do it differently. Let's try to find out if we can coordinate our actions and coordinate our resources and our talents and our time based on blockchain-based mechanisms through smart contracts, perhaps through tokens and incentivizing people to contribute to a DAO. So it's basically the same question as we face with firms, with companies. How do we have inputs from various people and pool those resources together and then decide how we make the most of those resources? And then the final step is how do we reward people who, who have been 
contributing resources who have been helping us to turn those pooled resources into something valuable. So I think that's that's what I've, I've seen DAOs mostly um, in decentralized finance, at least initially, but just the past few months, we've seen so many different types of DAOs um, in so many different types of projects from cultural DAOs, from um, NFT DAOs, from investment DAOs to typical DeFi DAOs, and who knows how many other things are coming, like climate change related DAOs, people coming together for a common cause, for a common project. So DAOs are, I think, much broader than t traditional companies, which are which we tend to see as for-profit in a commercial sense. I think DAOs can be much broader than that as any type of organization that people want to engage in in a decentralized fashion. Essentially, you mentioned sort of the existing corporate structure. I mean, do you think DAOs are a straight replacement for the existing corporate structure, or do you, do you think that they're completely conceptually different? Do you, do you think these things are going to sort of come along mostly together, or do you think one's going to, you're going to get a move away from companies towards DAOs in the future? I mean, it's a very good question. One of the, one of the things I'm looking at in my research is this question that we see in in the DAO world saying, well, DAOs are the future of the firm and DAOs will replace firms. But simply because DAOs serve many more purposes than just making making profit and engaging commercial activities, um, I think we have to distinguish really between the DAOs that resemble firms and many DAOs that are there more as social clubs and that do not necessarily have the same goals and ambitions as a corporate firm. And I think whether or not DAOs, I think DAOs will not replace the firm. The firm has, the company as we know it has grown for certain reasons in a more centralized fashion, because in some ways that's just more efficient, could be more effective, could be easier, could work better. But I think the, the power of DAOs is to show that, well, perhaps we've lost something, assuming that we organize our interactions mostly to companies when we're thinking about commercial for-profit activities. And I think the, the key benefit of having DAOs around is that DAOs may show us how to do things differently. And just by existing, DAOs are, are and perhaps may in the future even more exert pressure on traditional corporate governance structures or traditional corporate governance assumptions. Just looking at, for example, the radical transparency that we see in DAOs, that may be something that for now we just assume is part of the DAO world, but at some point I can imagine that that exerts also some pressure on traditional corporate um, entities to become more transparent. So DAOs will not be a, a, a trend by themselves living in a world that is very different from companies. There will be interactions. Some of those interactions may, may be very obvious. Some DAOs are companies. Investment DAOs, for example, may have a, <clears throat> excuse me, a traditional corporate structure. But even, even if DAOs would remain separated from traditional companies in many ways or in the near future, I think they still can exert a lot of pressure just by changing expectations as to what we accept, what we accept and what we perhaps expect from companies, whether it's in terms of transparency of ownership, whether it's perhaps in challenging this idea of one token, one vote or one share, one vote whether it's perhaps in the way we reward contributions from various people who interact with a firm or a DAO. I think in that way, DAOs, even if they do not replace a firm, will challenge some of the corporate practices or co corporate assumptions that we have made for a long time. I think one thing I've always been interested in, because sometimes when you talk to people, you get sort of, we need to kind of rewrite the law from scratch because blockchain and crypto assets are new. And then you speak to other people, it's very much a question of, well, we've got an existing legal system, we'll just apply it because of the way UK law works, you can simply apply, apply ideas across. 
Because what do you see as the kind of future direction of law in the UK in relation to blockchain crypto assets? Do you think there's going to be a massive rewrite or do you think actually existing laws will simply transpose across? In the very first instance, I think what we see is happening is the attempts by regulators, lawmakers, policymakers, just to copy paste existing laws and, and try to impose them on blockchain, um, on the blockchain industry as such, or as a, at the crypto industry at large. And to some extent, that just doesn't work. To some extent, it may be working. To another extent, it just doesn't work. And the trends I've seen, there are obvious trends that I, that we see. One is that there's still a bit of this um, blockchain is is blockchain is good perspective from regulators trying to see how blockchain can impact financial market infrastructure. We in, in the EU, we see the EU, the EU's distributed ledger technology pilot project trying to see how we can use blockchain for traditional financial market infrastructure and very much try to encourage that. In the UK, something similar. But when it comes to the more um, non-traditional ways of using blockchain to actually change how financial markets work, there the tendency still very much is, let's try to, from a regulatory perspective, let's try to interpret or expand our existing laws and just apply them to blockchain as much as we can and to digital assets as much as we can. But of course, there are clear limits. And uh, the clearest tendency we've seen in, in the past two years is for regulators to say, well, let's at least let's start and try to go after stable coins and see if we can bring those within the existing rules, because that's seen as a big concern. In the EU, that was a whole drive behind the EU's crypto um, regulation, which is still being negotiated. In the UK, we just seen a couple of days ago how the UK government says, well, we want to bring stable coins within the existing rules. So again, that shows a mindset of, well, there must be ways to bring certain parts of the crypto industry, the blockchain industry, within existing rules, even though some of those rules may need to be tweaked or may need to be um, may need to be their own framework. But even within the EU, if we look at this crypto asset regulation that's being negotiated, it's very much a copy paste of our existing financial markets rules. It's not necessarily a very different approach. And that may have to change. I think the next wave we'll see is trying to find out, well, what do we do with parts of the crypto industry that are not necessarily that easy to just regulate with existing rules, which is, for example, DeFi and DAOs. And with DeFi, I'm very curious to see if the EU's regulation will actually try to deal with DeFi in this big crypto regulation that's being negotiated, because it's not that easy. That's one of the, up, that's one, I think, one of the frontiers of the crypto industry that doesn't let itself be regulated so easily with existing laws. So I'm very curious to see if the EU is willing to bring DeFi into its, it, its um, big crypto asset regulation, which is very much premised on existing concepts and existing disclosure obligations and existing, um, say, market abuse rules and other traditional um, other traditional rules that we have just copy pasted from conventional market regulation. When it comes to the UK, I think there we also see this effort to think, well, we don't really know what to do with DeFi, let alone DAOs. I think very few regulators are actually looking at DAOs and trying to bring them under the existing regulation. Some are, um, but that's another step step ahead. I think the next step is looking at DeFi. What do we do with that? And in the UK, it's clear that we still don't really know where to put DeFi and if we can even ex if we can even impose our existing rules onto DeFi. In some ways we will, and we may just go back to a very simple rule to say, look, anything in DeFi has to be centralized somehow so that we can keep imposing our existing laws onto DeFi. But at some point we will reach a limit. And I think those limits of when we just need something else, uh, 
new types of laws, new types of corporate structures or legal entity structures, perhaps new types of ways to achieve our policy goals, which is not a traditional disclosure obligation, which is not a traditional intermediary um, liability rules. Perhaps we just have to look for the next frontier of DeFi and DAOs at how to do things differently. Uh, it seems kind of like you're looking at all these points. I mean, I think one thing which I think would quite interest for quite a lot of people listening is, you know, universities are hubs of, of where the deep thinking tends to happen, whereas more in the city you tend to get lots of running around and maybe not so much deep thought. What role do you see universities having on the development of the blockchain and crypto asset ecosystem? I think universities play a big, big role on this ecosystem, but not necessarily from people like me who are the academics, but mostly from the students. I'm part of the Cambridge Blockchain Society. I've been involved with their activities for a while now. And just looking at the, the creativity coming from students who do not take things for granted, just unlike what perhaps we as academics do. And are very, very creative thinking about new ways of doing the same things or new concepts or new products. Um, I think the innovation from universities hasn't come that much from us academics because we are steeped, we are familiar with a certain way of thinking. And that thinking is constantly challenged by the students that I see in those blockchain clubs coming from very different backgrounds, putting interdisciplinary teams together, coming up with radically new ideas. I think that's where I see most of the innovation happening, really in the student body and the student body trying to find out more and learn more. And I think for us as academics, we have to keep up with that and we have to understand that this is a serious, serious, serious um interest of many students who want to learn more, who want to want, want to get engaged, and also expect us to be up to date, which is not that easy because it's such a fast moving industry. So it's great to have podcasts like these where we can learn from from people in the industry and people doing things in the in the industry. But I think in universities there is definitely a lot of buzz going on, but at the student level. And for us academics, we'll have to, I think, um, go into a higher gear to make sure that we take the time just to keep up to date everything that's happening and trying to see the bigger picture, not just what companies are building and which products and services are being built, but really think, okay, what's the bigger picture? Where could all of this lead us to? And to have an interdisciplinary perspective that answers some of the bigger questions about the industry that then I think, again, can help many people see that bigger picture, whether it's lawmakers and policymakers, whether it's the industry. So I think as, as academics, we have, we have a catch up to do there. That's been interesting. I'm afraid we, that's all we've got time for for today. And it's been absolutely fantastic having you on. If anyone wants to reach out, Anne's email is ASCC2 at cam.cam.ac.uk. And thanks for coming on. It's been really interesting. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, James. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Gunnar Cook has a market-leading blockchain, crypto assets and DeFi team, providing legal advice across the whole of the blockchain ecosystem. Our members have been heavily involved in helping shape the legal and regulatory framework for blockchain and crypto assets from the start, meaning that we have an intuitive understanding of our clients' needs and can provide focused, pragmatic advice at predictable cost. For more information, please visit our website. Thank you again.